I mean, I'm fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Stratitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex a while I might hit the rep, we got the winner circle segments And the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Stratitude, so just kick back Grab a brew, it's fight night, so you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Stratitude, yeah Scrap, scrap What's up, everybody, and welcome to Tim Talk 293, brought to you by Scraptitude. This is Timothy Lewis, taking you coast to coast, doing the most. Thank you for tuning in. For the uninitiated, this podcast combines three key perspectives, an aggregate of the odds makers, a look at the data courtesy of the Scraptitude Analytics Database, and then the thoughts of yours truly filling in all the gaps in between. The goal of this program is to give you a comprehensive base of information so that you can make informed wagers come fight night. Now, my longtime listeners may notice that this is something of an abbreviated podcast here, and that is intentional. UFC 293, it just wasn't speaking to me, and I can't find too many people that it was, in fact, speaking to. Ears shut. The issue here is that many of the fighters on this card are inexperienced. It looks like maybe a selection of fighters that you would find on Dana White's Contender Series or a lackluster uh, fight night card. Uh, But instead, this is uh, the lineup for a pay-per-view, and Israel Adesanya so generously decided to carry this card as the headliner. But because of the limited data sets that accompany these relatively unknown or unheralded or journeyman fighters, I've decided to abbreviate the fights covered to the main event and the co-main event. Before getting there, however, we have to review the results of Tim Talk 292 covering UFC 292. In terms of winners and losers, both myself and the odds makers went three of four for the fight selected. They included Marlon Vera versus Pedro Munoz, Neil Magny versus Ian Gary, Zhang Weili against Amanda Limos, and Aljamain Sterling taking on Sugar Sean O'Malley. Now, as you can guess, the fight that we were wrong on is the Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Aljamain Sterling. While I didn't give my picks via a formal Tim Talk episode, I did create a Twitter thread with those four fights. I have to admit, the outcome was surreal. Sugar Sean O'Malley defeating Aljamain Sterling by second round TKO. Some say the fight was called early. I was fine with it. My motto has always been, if you don't want the fight to get stopped, don't get knocked on your ass. The greater revelation here is the fighter that Sean O'Malley has become. He always was toolsy. We knew that he was quick, that he was tall, that he had some power, kind of big for the weight class. But there were a lot of concerns about his gas tank, his ability to deal with the formidable grapplers, as well as what would happen to him as he continued to rise in competition. These doubts were further escalated in his performance against Pyotr Jan that, while he surprised, many thought that Jan deserved the nod in that fight. However, as history relays, the title shot was well-earned and Sean O'Malley capitalized on his opportunity. 
we have a new bantamweight champion. Now, without further hesitation, let's get into UFC 293. Yo, yeah. The co-main event of the evening and the fight I will first be covering is a clash between the big boys, Tai Tuivasa and Alexander Volkov. Currently, the odds makers have Tai Tuivasa as an aggregate underdog of plus 195 to the minus 247 favorite of Alexander Volkov. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 33.9% implied likelihood of victory for Tuivasa to the 71.2% implied likelihood for Volkov. An exercise that I like to do when I'm analyzing a fight is to assess the keys for victory, create a steel man argument for each fighter, and then more or less call bullshit. Do I think that this is something that can actually happen or not? So I'm going to give you all some keys to victory, and then I'm going to give the breakdown for what I think is going to happen, both qualitatively and quantitatively. Let's start with Tai Tuivasa. Tuivasa is two years younger than Alexander Volkov, and his body composition is uh, a sharp contrast to his longer and taller adversary. Tuivasa, also known by his alias Bam Bam, has some stats that indicate that he could be competitive here despite uh, his lesser experience and the uh, stark reach disadvantage that he will face. In terms of uh, career competition, despite Volkov having more fights, uh, the strength of schedule is there for Tai Tuivasa. He also has won 93% of his fights by knockout and has a staggering 2.24% knockdown ratio. He also brutally finished Derek Lewis, who has an iconic victory over Alexander Volkov. Q, my balls was hot. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls was hot. I understand. In other words, Tuivasa brings the fucking thunder. And he's not afraid to take chances, which he'll need to do to get inside of the range of Alexander Volkov, who is a tenured kickboxer and is good at prodding from a distance. But make no mistake, Tuivasa absolutely has the tools necessary. He's the faster fighter. He's the more explosive fighter. And we saw him corner and wallop a much more mobile kickboxer in Cyril Gan. And some might think that that was a fluke, uh, something that's unlikely to be repeated. But I would like to tell those people that Alexander Volkov does not have the mobility of Cyril Gan. I'd also like to tell those same people that perhaps they're underestimating the technical acumen of Tai Tuivasa. Yes, he's a swang and bang type of fighter. He likes to mix it up and he takes a lot of chances, much to the chagrin of his defense and chin. But the one thing that Tai Tuivasa always does is he always, always gives himself a chance to win the fight. He will gut through the pain. He will fight through the adversity and he will swing until he dies. On top of that, he's shown uh, composure. He's shown glimpses of uh, good footwork and also understandings of, uh, of leverage and clinch positioning, which could be a sneaky factor when it comes to tangling with the frame of Alexander Volkov. Now let's look at the other side, Alexander Volkov or since he's moved up to that 255-pound uh, range, as I call him, Alexander Swolkov. So how does Swolkov get it done? Well, 
Aside from the earlier mentioned variables, the advantages in terms of height and reach, I'd like to expand upon the experience differential. Volkov, at just two years older, has 26 more fights than Tai Tuivasa. And that does not count his kickboxing experience. At Scraptitude, we love to see opponents with a vast amount of experience who have not aged out of their prime. And that is exactly where Alexander Volkov is. He has what is called age-adjusted experience and a massive advantage in this respective category, despite the four-year age differential. Because there's no way that that gap in experience will be traversed in the next four years of Tuivasa's career. And the way this boils down, why it is meaningful, this experience advantage, is because it's akin to getting reps. And reps matter for anything, whether you're lifting weights, whether you're practicing the violin, whether you're cage fighting. Your capacity to solve problems and process information inside the octagon is accentuated by how much experience you have. Now, this experience can be superseded by, say, uh, dynamic athleticism, as we saw when Cyril Ghosn was able to outclass Alexander Volkov, largely due to his uh, speed and mobility. However, in this fight, I do not expect such a differential in athleticism, although I do say that Tuivasa is more explosive and faster, at least in the bursts of output. The other thing working in Alexander Volkov's favor is his durability, which doesn't really get talked about, but through 46 fights, he has just a 11%, 10.8% loss by finish rate, uh, which comes in below the 16% loss by finish rate of Tai Tuivasa. So if Tuivasa is going to get this one done, he's going to have to knock Alexander Volkov out. Whereas, from my perspective, I can see Alexander Volkov catching an overly ambitious, overly risk-prone Tai Tuivasa with one of those hammers, or he could outpoint him on his way to a decision by striking at range. However this fight goes, I do expect it to be a striking battle for the duration. For me personally, I am leaning towards the more experienced, uh, the less volatile guy here, the guy who has more ways to win, and that is Alexander Swolkov. The question is, do I like him as much as the odds makers do? A minus 247 aggregate favorite, and the answer is no. While Volkov is fundamentally sound, he does have a uh, an issue of athleticism. His feet are slow, and that gives me concerns because these violent outbursts by Tai Tuivasa will have him covering ground quickly. He will get into the pocket, and Alexander Volkov is going to have to navigate very dangerous territory when that happens. And he's going to be very focused on minimizing uh, the damage he receives in those sequences. Will he be able to time counters and really punish Tai Tuivasa when he gets aggressively offensive? Well, that's the question mark for this entire fight. If the answer is no, Volkov is going to lose. Because make no mistake, Tai Tuivasa will take the risks necessary to traverse that distance, and he will accept whatever punishment comes as a response. Whereas Volkov is a little bit more of a strategic fighter who's happy to win at range, Tai Tuivasa is kill or be killed. So while I like Alexander Volkov here, I like him having more ways to win, I believe that this danger presented by two to by Tai Tuivasa is underrepresented by the odds makers. All the juice is on Tai Tuivasa to win by knockout. You can get that at plus 300 on DraftKings. Yo, yeah. 
Next up, we have the main event of the evening. A odd matchup, but an anticipated bout nonetheless between the style bender, the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, taking on the controversial Sean Strickland. Currently, Israel Adesanya is a minus 664 favorite to the plus 444 underdog of Sean Strickland. In terms of percentages, that converts to an 86.9% implied likelihood of victory. I said that again. An 86.9% implied likelihood of victory for Adesanya to the 18.4% implied likelihood of Sean Strickland. The keys to victory for this fight are pretty straightforward, and the case for Adesanya hardly has to be made. Uh, he needs to implement his footwork uh, to circumvent the, jo- the jab of Sean Strickland, and in doing so, land poignant counters, hit leg kicks, stay to the outside until he finds his way through the unorthodox guard, uh, parrying guard of Sean Strickland which shouldn't be overly complicated considering the blueprint that was left by long-term, long-time adversary and rival Alex Pereira. I'd say the chances are strong both for Israel Adesanya to win by knockout or to win by decision. It really depends on which version of him shows up. In his last bout, he was backed into a corner, had no choice but to go for the kill. But oftentimes it's been the case when Israel Adesanya is a level above and isn't forced out of first gear, He cruises against his opponent and collects a check. Now, for Sean Strickland, the keys to victory get a little bit more complicated. We know what he does, and he does it well. A lot of people out there will tell you that Sean Strickland is not a good fighter, and those people are full of shit. Is his striking conventional? No. Uh, But I do believe we're still navigating what works uh, and what doesn't work in mixed martial arts. The meta for this sport specifically is ever-evolving. And Sean Strickland, with his sparring practice, how, how, how he trains almost exclusively through sparring, has developed his own style for boxing using the four-ounce gloves. He's also found techniques for defense. This includes the aforementioned parries, a decent ability to check kicks, but also a relentless pressure that suffocates his opponent's ability to throw kicks and to counterfight. But at pocket boxing range in this fight, Sean Strickland will have an advantage. Israel Adesanya may be the more acclaimed striker, the more talented striker, the more lethal striker. But if one thing has been a flaw for him, it's that his boxing technique is not the sharpest. And in numerous fights, he's struggled with the potent jabs of his opponents, from Jan Blahovich to Alex Pereira to Robert Whitaker to Anderson Silva. So Sean Strickland may have to thread a needle here, but he's going to do it utilizing the exact tools that he always has, which is that relentless pressure, forward pressure, coupled with his snake-like jab. The thing about Sean Strickland, he's like a hornet when it gets in your shirt. It's hard to get out, and it just keeps stinging. If he can find a way past that initial level of defense, that range mitigation of Israel Adesanya, he's going to be able to sting, 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 sting from that pocket boxing range. And he might be the best fighter in the entire sport of avoiding punishment from that range. That doesn't mean he's never been hit. That doesn't mean he can't be hit. 
but his significant strike defense speaks for itself. It's not a mirage. And just because his defense may lack the fundamentals that we so often associate with a boxer, and that's largely what Sean Strickland is, is a boxer inside the octagon, while he may lack those traditional fundamentals, his unusual defense is something that's a hard thing for opponents to train for. There's also the off chance that Sean Strickland decides to utilize the other aspects of his mixed martial arts skill portfolio. He should be a better grappler here. He should have better submissions, better wrestling. So if we really, really squint here, we can see, okay, Sean Strickland, he has a grappling advantage here, and he has this potent jab. Are these two things not the prototype for what we believe to give Israel Adesanya problems? And so, in there, we see through this window, this window of possibility, Sean Strickland does have an avenue for victory. The question is, can Sean Strickland uh, utilize this diversity of tools in a coherent way and upset the middleweight kingpin Israel Adesanya? The odds makers clearly don't think so, and I ain't buying it either. My main gripe here is that Sean Strickland, despite his relentless pressure, hasn't shown the type of footwork that uh, cuts off the octagon and forces his opponent into his game. He more or less follows them around and marches forward and throws arm punches that disrupt his opponent's combination, ultimately degrading their cardio and forcing them to stand still. Israel Adesanya has this combination of a great gas tank and elusive footwork. It's going to be very hard for Sean Strickland to track him down and land meaningful shots. And when I say meaningful shots, what does that really mean in the context of Sean Strickland's game, who has just uh, three knockdowns uh, in, okay, my bad, five knockdowns out of 1,577 significant strikes landed. That's just a .31 knockdown rate, .31 knockdowns per every 100 significant strikes landed. Now, who's taking the over on Sean Strickland landing 100 significant strikes in this fight? It ain't me. And if he's not going to be able to cut off the octagon, how is he going to stop Israel Adesanya's kicking game, which can take place out of the orthodox or southpaw stance and really target that heavy lead leg of Sean Strickland? In the past, we've seen some really sloppy kicking defense out of Strickland. His uh, go-to for defending kicks isn't, Uh, Muay Thai or uh, knowledgeable technical acumen, it's pressure. It is staying on top of his opponent such that they can't execute those techniques. His defense is intertwined with his offense and beyond that, utterly dependent upon it. I like that Sean Strickland is more experienced. He's in the prime of his career. Uh, but I just don't think he has the tools athletically or stylistically to really challenge Israel Adesanya, who has faced a higher level of competition overall against opponents that truthfully threaten him in more dynamic ways than Sean Strickland does. So while I will literally chortle my ass off, I will die of laughter if Sean Strickland manages to jab off Israel Adesanya's nose for five rounds. I... I have a hard time closing my eyes and even starting the imagination process necessary to fabricate that reality. I see Israel Adesanya making reads, working at range, circling off the octagon, and ultimately finding the kill shot against uh, Sean Strickland. 
My biggest concern here, actually, is that Strickland doesn't try hard enough. Is that he's worried about getting knocked the fuck out, similar to Alex Pereira, and ends up putting on a Jared Cannonier type of performance where he's afraid to commit to anything and ultimately lets the fight slide by in an unspectacular way. I hope Strickland tries to win this fight. I hope he goes out on his shield because there's no path to victory uh, for him in a glorified sparring match here. Israel Adesanya will take him to school and outclass him over the course of five rounds. But it's put up or shut up time. Sean Strickland needs to know that he's got to take risks here if he's going to claim gold. And in doing so, he'll make himself vulnerable. Israel Adesanya will TKO Sean Strickland. Take it to the bank. Yo, yeah. All right, y'all, thanks for tuning into this podcast. It feels great to be back in the studio. I hope that y'all anticipated this program and have enjoyed its deliberation. Remember, we here at Scraptitude, me here at Tim Talk, dependent on word-of-mouth marketing, please share this program with your friends, with your family, with your MMA analytical contemporaries, whoever it may be. Uh, Each new listener is a blessing. Furthermore, if you enjoy this program, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars, baby. Anyways, I hope y'all have a great weekend. I hope y'all had a great Labor Day weekend last weekend. That's for for my American folks. Uh, But anyways, until next time, you know what to do. Be well, live well, and bet responsibly.